0: Like I said on the last podcast, stress is the biological response to a stressor. And a stressor is anything that challenges you sufficiently to make you consciously or unconsciously question your resource level and to feel threatened by the demand on you. That's what it is. And like I said last time, stressors are not going away. They are not going away however we can radically transform our response to those stresses transform our perception and our response and that's where the magic comes in that's where the magic of resilience comes in to transform our perception and to transform our response so that the experience radically shifts into into this Resilience, which we learn, it's a learning curve. It's natural to have resilience, but when we're absolutely stressed out, we can't find it. So we have to learn and we have to grow in this kind of radical resilience. In nature, trees need wind to grow strong. And they don't have wind, they grow weak and they fall over. That's how it works. The branches are weak, the trunks are weak, the roots are weak. The tree falls over as soon as a strong wind comes along. So resilience is about like being in the wind and finding that strength in the exigencies and the situations of life. Now, sadly, somebody cannot teach you resilience if they haven't had to deal with exigencies. They have no real knowing other than the cognitive knowing of what resilience is. So, you know, teachers of resilience have to have had situations exigencies demands on them where they have learned to be resilient otherwise they can't authentically teach it they can just teach the ideas of resilience and that's a different thing now bones in a body all the bones in your body are sculpted by movement depending on how you move and what you do the pull of the muscles and the tendons the fascial web of, mu- of muscle and tendon all of that pulling on the bones sculpts the bones and makes them strong They grow their shape from that kind of torsional and compressive force. Take living bones out into space where the force of gravity is less and they become weak and fragile and they break easily. We need stressors to stay strong and stay well but we need to be able to face into those stressors and look at our perspective and our responses effectively. My online course in transforming stress into resilience, enables you or anyone to do precisely this. Now, in the same way as we're talking about bones in the body, and in the same way that we're talking about trees in the wind, neurons in our brain grow through experiential challenges, blissful and painful. That's how we grow. Now, when they grow, they join together and they make new, new networks. So that the shift and change of the patterning, the networks within the brain, that's what neuroplasticity is. And that's what learning is. We're learning, you know, learning is a transformation from one pattern into another pattern, which is initially different. Maybe it may be confusing. It cannot immediately be be grasped, but it's learning in process. As one of my teachers used to say, confusion is just learning in process. Now, radical resilience, It's about getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Not like a rigid thing. We're not talking about rigidity. When I'm saying strong, I'm not talking rigidity. I'm talking responsivity. I'm talking creativity. I'm talking playfulness. I'm talking engagement. Not withdrawal into a rigid place of kind of defense. That's not what we're talking about. Just to be absolutely clear. So radical resilience is about getting stronger, more creative, more responsive, more playful in the light of those stresses rather than becoming more fragile or more boundaried or more withdrawn. You know, rigidity is a kind of weakness. Rigidity is like weakness on the inside with a solid structure on the outside that will crack and break. It's not strong strength is different strength is not rigidity resilience is about continually consciously learning every moment every moment is fuel it's fantastic life is amazing now before we go deeper into resilience i'm going to have to put a word in on trauma because trauma is really important so i'm going to explain what trauma is and how it relates to resilience now trauma is an assault whereby the impact of the experience cannot be adequately processed, resolved, as experience in the brain, and it can't be integrated as what happened, learn from it and step forward. We stay in that kind of slightly frozen reactive space to the event without being able to process it or deal with it effectively. Now, so trauma is anything that leads to a huge shift in our biology, Um, that the experience, instead of being processed, is kind of held in somatic patterns, that's patterns in the body of neurofascial contraction or uh, emotional responsivity, or it's held within neuronal patterns you know, and it can also be held in cognitive meaning making in the stories we tell ourselves. Stories are particularly important because we recreate our experience through stories and coming into an understanding of narratives and the kind of stories we tell, the kind of metaphors we live by becomes increasingly important as we look into becoming deeper and deeper and more embedded in and comfortable with and growing in resilience. Trauma is anything that leads to these kind of where these holding patterns alter a person's bio-psycho-social responses and substantially reduce their quality of life, their capacity to engage, to respond, um, to socially engage, to experience joy, to learn and to empathise. Trauma is crippling. Big tree trauma is is awful. You know, the kind of context where people find themselves in, where they are um, so damaged, traumatized in that way, are horrific. And there's a way through it. And that's what we're going to focus on with resilience. But first of all, let's understand a little bit more about it. Because what one person experiences the trauma, another reviews resilience or character building. It varies so much individually. Again, depending on the culture we grew up in, depending on our parenting depending on our own personal sensitivity and so forth some people are much more sensitive highly sensitive people and all this kind of differences need to be paid attention so there's no judgment here at all about this but trauma is not just what happens to us it's what we do with what happens it's what we do with what happens if we're supported if we have a good social network If we have good resource skills, if we have good education around how to do stress from our parents or our schools or our cultures or whatever, if we're fortunate enough to find resources that allow adequate processing, we can deal with some pretty difficult stuff. If we're less fortunate and we don't have social support networks, if we have had a complex adverse experience or if we're still children, you know, trauma for children, they, they don't have the prefrontal cortex switched on. They don't have the processing capacity to be able to deal with some of the kind of stuff that happens to kids. So th- in these kind of contexts, it's much harder to deal with it. Then there's also the kind of trauma which is like a neglect or abuse in developmental phases. You know, um, children and teens particularly. And this adversely affects brain development. It changes the way the brain grows because of the effect of cortisol in terms of the the way the neurons are laid down in the brain, the way they connect in the brain. It prevents proper networking in the brain. It, It reduces speed of traffic along some of the fast traffic neurons that connect key nodes in the brain into those networks so you know developmental trauma which affects brain development through riddling the brain with cortisol can be extremely problematic and can take many 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 years if not decades even to unravel so you know we have to honor and understand how trauma works trauma that occurred in pre-verbal phases that's before we learned to talk before we learned languaging so it's kind of held somatically And it affects the function of the body. It affects how the glands work, how muscles interact, how fascia is bound or connected. It affects everything in the body. Trauma is a whole body experience. It's not just in your head. It's the whole body is involved, glands, muscles, organs, everything. And we know full well that this, particularly this pre-verbal trauma, is very difficult to undo, but it can be done. Those kinds of traumas affect um, disease states, you know, cardiovascular disease, cancers, diabetes onset the kind of diseases of aging dementia these kind of diseases come on much much earlier in somebody's experience of childhood adversity and again that pre-verbal stage is much harder to undo because we haven't got the we can't we can feel it we can feel something we can feel a blockage it's kind of like an empty stuck or a numb feeling but we can't language it so we need strategies and one of the beauties of breath work is that we have strategies where we can get into that stuff and start to move things. So with with this kind of body holding trauma patterns, which could be a collapse, a contraction, it could be a freezing, it could be a blocking, and all of this affects breathing muscles. These kind of holding patterns and defensive armoring can be so problematic. It's a whole body-mind experience. Now, trauma has become such a buzzword. It's it's literally becoming a huge business. And there are so many people selling Trauma liberation strategies and this kind of thing. And of course, you know, I am also in the business of helping people to liberate themselves from trauma. I want the world to be a place where people can free themselves from trauma. And so my work is very much also around helping people to do this in a powerful way, in a good way, in a strong way. And also ultimately helping to create a world where childhood adversity, the complex, abusive, neglectful childhood experiences that occur do not happen with anything like the regularity they do and when we can resolve this kind of childhood adversity we will save money as cultures and time and lives in terms of uh, social services provision in terms of criminal justice system in terms of education in terms of health care because all these things affect you know lead to an early onset of those diseases we were talking about so the more we can deal with childhood adversity the better there were some maths done in the states i can't remember who said this but every one pound spent in um you know developmental care young people and teenagers every pound spent there is worth thousands of pounds spent later in criminal justice to social services in the education system in the healthcare system because of the consequence of that rippling through time and everything that then impacts so working with this kind of work with young people is profoundly beneficial, enabling people to develop the skills early on of working with stressors, working with resilience, understanding how their brain works, understanding how breath can impact psychological states and cultivate states of well being. All this is increasingly going to become important. And again, for many reasons, including the fact that, you know, evolutionarily we are. 10,000 years behind the cultures we've created, and we are advancing technologically at a breakneck speed. So learning to navigate the nervous systems, you know, our own central nervous system, our own responses, our own emotional intelligence, our own cognitive patterning, all those things are going to become absolutely essential as we go into the future. This is where the edges of and the kind of courses we're doing at Embody are very much built around this kind of future-proofing, future-proofing your biology, future-proofing your nervous system. Going back to trauma a moment, trauma is endemic. It's endemic in our culture. You know, it's transgenerational trauma. And when we, you know, again, we could do a whole a whole podcast on transgenerational trauma and looking at that. And maybe I will do at some point. But we've got the transgenerational trauma. We've got the developmental trauma, which happens in childhood adversity. We've got the adult ex- experiences, complex adult experiences. And all of those kind of experiences, where our boundaries were transcended without consent, um, can lead to problematic outcomes and an inability to effectively deal with stressors. Working with liberation from trauma, we're working at clarifying, resolving, and then integrating those experiences to help people to live a more optimal life. And that is a life of resilience, a life of being able to deal with and work with whatever happens. It's all workable. I was reading a fabulous book by Dr. Peter Attia, one of his new books, He was talking about a gentleman who jumped off a bridge in a suicidal moment. And after he jumped, he realised that it was all workable. He could have worked it all out. Fortunately, he survived and he had the opportunity to do that, but he'd already jumped. Now, the thing is, we want to be able to find out that it's all workable. You know, we can work with it. We can, you know, there are tools available. There are people who can help to be able to create these lives. And at the moment, we have people in massive overwhelm. I think the NHS stats are somewhere in in the UK or something like around more than 70% of the population are in high levels of stress or overwhelm on a daily basis. You know, all the stuff going on. We have our young people where over 50% of the population are working with and struggling with mental health problems. We have created this culture. We can create something else. And one of the beauties of the meta disciplines, the embodied meta disciplines we're working with and similar kinds of work is that we're very much looking to create a culture where the neurobiology and how we do trauma, how we do stress, how we do resilience is all taken into account and worked with as part of the culture, not just dominated for the purpose of creating more profit. Like I said, trauma has become a buzzword. Like I said, it's becoming a huge business. You know, the idea that if you have a belly button, you have trauma is probably accurate to a degree. There's different degrees, of course, but also this kind of trauma informed world. If it becomes too sensitized, it has the tendency to dilute the meaning of the word to the degree that everything is traumatic. And that oversensitization doesn't lead to a healthy understanding of how to build resilience in the way that it could. So we've got to keep in balance this sensitivity and this trauma-informed understanding really powerfully, and also seek to find this resolution and this emancipation from that. So there's a clear outcome, which is not living in a traumatized state, but leading ourselves to a state of liberation and liberating ourselves from the trauma-led lifestyle and creating this optimized state of resilience for ourselves and the people we love and care about. And that's really important. Now, Gambo mate uses the word trauma to describe an inner injury, a lasting rupture or split within the self. It's the kind of experience that leaves a raw scar that can be triggered and take on a life of its own, manifesting reaction, reactive behaviour manifesting and acting out unresolved emotions, manifesting creating drama in the world, manifesting destroying relationships and leading to somatic and cognitive narratives of tragedy, blame, shame. Unworthiness and unlovability. Shame is a trauma response. The feeling of unworthiness is a trauma response. The feeling of unlovability is a trauma response. And the more we have those feelings coursing through our life, bubbling up often from those pre verbal stages, you know, it's going to be so, so, so much harder to deal with stressors. This is why I'm talking about trauma here, because it ties in with stress management. You know, it's so much harder to do it. Peter Levine describes trauma as the most avoided, ignored, belittled, denied, misunderstood, an untreated cause of human suffering. Fair comment, I think. You know, what Gabel calls calls lowercase little t trauma. You've got big t trauma. We've talked about it. you've got little t trauma as well. I can't do a little t, it's kind of <laughs> that kind of shape. Yeah, um, big t is easy, isn't it? There's big t, little t. I'm a stress situation. i do I a little t. Little t trauma is, is kind of less memorable. You know, often we don't even recognize it's happened or happened, Um, but it's an extremely prevalent quality of dismissive, demeaning, um, verbally abusive, shaming, bullying, you know, continual gentle bullying, maybe by parents, maybe by teachers, maybe by significant people in our lives. But it leads to those kind of suboptimal views of who we are, that we're unworthy, we're unlovable, we're not up to it. We can't handle it. And you can see how those kind of feelings will lead to a response, especially when we're tired, lead to a response where we can't handle the challenges of life. And then the stress response kicks in and that ongoing stress response then builds up. And it's a question of then, what do we do with that? How do we manage it? And of course, we learn to manage stress from our parents, from the significant people in our lives. How did they do it? Well, as kids, we copy them. So if our parents ate uh, food to manage stress, we're more likely to do that. If they did displacement aggression, which is where they um, shout at the smaller, younger people in their lives as a way of dealing with their stress, we're more likely to do that. If they did emotional withdrawal into a numb, isolated still quiet place, we're more likely to do that. So it depends on the patterns we've learned of how we do it. And we've got to identify our own patterns and find those. Again, the courses we're doing at Embody are very much around this get to know your patterns. If you get to know your patterns, it makes them workable. And the patterns are body-based. You know, what do you do with your upper trapezius muscles when you get in distress? What happens in your face, your social engagement system? What happens with your vagus nerve? What happens in your intestines? You know, what happens on your sphincters? What's happening internally? What happens to your breath? What happens when you get into that triggered state? How can you work with triggers? And all these kind of things are key areas of the work where we're really owning that stress response. We're taking responsibility for it. So we're no longer blaming situations, life circumstances, or the stresses themselves. And what we're saying really is, I can deal with this. Yep, it's tough, and I'm going to be able to handle it and you see one of the neurotransmitters that comes into the game then is dopamine you know we're shifting from the just an adrenalized response into adrenaline and dopamine Yep, yeah, i can deal with this so it's a different aspect so it's not just what happens to us it's how we deal with what happens to us now big t and small t traumas are obviously in a continuum a spectrum and they're there to help us understand our experience not demean um, anyone's experience a just small t trauma that's not the idea that's kind of a little bit ignorant to be honest with you now just to be clear again why i'm talking about trauma i'm talking about trauma because it affects our capacity to effectively navigate stresses big time it affects our belief in ourselves it affects our available resources to be able to deal with situations and circumstances demands whether environmental or social it affects our states the moods we get into you know, the brainwave states we occupy, it affects how we get out of bed in the morning. It affects our approach to everything we do. It affects our perception of of both ourself and of others. And it affects our relational ability, how to relate well with other human beings. All of this can be affected. So it's kind of really important terrain to go into when we're looking at really working well with stress management. So again, if you dive into any of the embodied courses, particularly the stress, to radical resilience course understand you're also addressing though in that particular course not specifically we do have courses specifically for trauma but on that one you know we are um looking at neurobiology overall but just understand that trauma is a really important player in how we shift from feeling stressed and the patterns of stress into into this kind of what I call radical resilience, which is this powerful capacity to take responsibility for those patterns and shift them so totally yeah, that they are no longer in charge of our life. So in this process, you, you you'll find more of who you are. And if you uncover triggers, triggers are wonderful, being triggered and catching one's own reactivity. You know, I've had a lot of work to do. I have had decades of work to do to get to the point where I can sit here saying this. What you see is decades of pain and suffering and struggle coming to some point of reasonable enough resolution and integration so I can sit here and say these things. So if you can own your triggers and then you're beginning to own the pattern because what the triggers give you is a place, an indicator, a gateway into the lack of resource and you've got to be able to stop And again, all the, you know, ways we're going into this coursework and going to the course, you've got to find ways to do that. It's brilliant. You're going to get in there and unpick those pieces so they no longer control you. Because if you're being triggered into a reactive state, into irritability, into anger, into depression, into numbness, into withdrawal, if you're being triggered and pushed and pulled around, that's a victim state. A you know, victim of your own internal you know, triggers, but owning those and undoing them, gradually unpinning them and finding the resource is the road to freedom. So the triggers are powerful. It's powerful to, to have to go in and open those up and find out how best we work with these. Take your time. Time is really important with this work. We have to take our time and we have to be compassionate to ourselves. We rest in compassionate inquiry. Yeah, we're not gonna, you know, it's no point in being triggered and then beating ourselves up about the trigger. The trigger happened a long time ago. The trigger was set in place a long time ago. The fact that you're spotting it is an act of kindness. It's an act of compassion. The fact that you're paying attention and begin to work with it is an act of compassion and kindness. So we have to be compassionate to ourselves. Compassionate has many aspects to it. Compassion is a huge word. And it covers things like discipline discipline is compassion as far as i'm concerned yeah? because discipline in discipline you find awareness and if you're finding awareness you'll find the capacity to be able to catch and radically resolve triggers rapidly resolve triggers so awareness is key with trauma with poor um management strategies around stress we learn to be inauthentic we can't be fully ourselves so awareness authenticity and finding the capacity to be responsible that's agency responsible are all keys to undoing trauma and also keys therefore to building radical resilience now I'll just say again stress is where any demand on the system either exceeds resources to meet it or Importantly, it's perceived to exceed resources to meet it. Now, you know full well that when you get tired, when you have a lousy night's sleep and you get tired, you know the next day you can be reactive, irritable, grumpy and so forth. And that is your brain not having the resources. It's perceiving you as not having the resources to be able to meet that situation. Again, we've got skills, we've got tools, we've got resources where we can work with that to really enable that transformation. So if you meet a stressor and you feel consciously or unconsciously, and sometimes it can be unconscious, that you have sufficient resource, if it's workable for you, you've got enough time, enough skills, enough energy, enough money, if you slept well enough, whatever's needed, then the stressor becomes a challenge. And we shift into a different neurochemical pattern instead of just feeling adrenalized or loads of cortisol flooding through the system changing our patterns which and and it's that cortisol that leads to metabolic dysfunction as well metabolic uh, diseases, you know if. If we can get in some dopamine in there, if we can meet the challenge and go, yeah, okay, great. The time out, we meet that we get on with it, we work with it. We give ourselves goals. We meet those goals in a good enough way. We're compassionate selves. We're kind to ourselves. We're constantly reflecting in a good space. We're working with the breath work. We're working with the mind skills to enable us to stay on point and to stay resourceful. You know, self-coaching is absolutely crucial, getting into self-coaching on this. Yes, I can do this. Yes, we're gonna nail this. Yes, we're gonna be on point with this. Great, I recognize I didn't do that, right? That's okay, I'll do that tomorrow. And we're staying on track. And that skill level is building in the dopamine into into the demand so that we can stay well in that and meet that. And of course, when we meet a demand, we build in more dopamine. We build it more resilience. So we become stronger, not in a rigid way, we become stronger and more responsive and more resilient and more creative. That's how it works. Now, if the stressor feels that it demands more than you have available, you're going to a neuroendocrine stress cascade, which we're gonna look at on another session. And this is key because it describes a moment of perception that determines a cascade of response. So one moment of perception can be the difference Between going into a massive stress cascade, leading to adrenaline, adrenalized response, leading potentially cortisol, leading and heading in towards metabolic dysfunction and and those kind of diseases that we don't want, you know, that collapse, it can be like that, just one moment of perception, or it can be an upward spiral of I can do this and that moment of perception is absolutely crucial and being on top of perceptual patterns becomes absolutely essential in terms of building in resilience into the system as we're going deeper into the carbon silicon interface carbon-based life form that we are you know this carbon is an amazing molecule it has four bonds which can sync up to um, you know other atoms so it can create chains with hydrogen oxygen nitrogen so forth we're a carbon-based life form Another molecule like that is silicon. Silicon is really interesting. And of course, the silicon AI that we're cultivating, the artificial intelligence, this interface that we're communicating and working with now at this evolutionary edge is the carbon-silicon interface. And I'm doing it right now. Here I am on the screen. We're doing visual interface. We're doing tactile interface with keyboards or with touchscreens. We're doing audio interface. We've got a lot of different interfaces at the sensory levels with silicon intelligence. Not that it's fully intelligent yet, but it's slowly happening. Well, actually, it's quickly happening. As we become more and more embedded into this carbon-silicon interface, you, we human beings are going to need more skills, more skills in terms of managing our own neural responses. Otherwise, it's just going to get messier. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get messier. The stressors are not going away. They will increase. So we have to have those what I call meta disciplines in place to enable us to really get into and resolve those kind of patterns and shift those perceptual patterns so that we can stay in an optimized state. And awareness is key to that. Awareness is absolutely key. So all the meta disciplines that I teach are around cultivating deeper levels of embodied awareness. They are profound practices that enable us, in a sense, to be future-proofing our lives for that increasing level of dissonance, increasing level of carbon-silicon interface, increasing level of handling paradoxical situations. And that's what we're facing, of course, all the time with stresses is paradox. How can we land well in paradox? Last podcast I talked about and different kinds of stress, four kinds, environmental stress, developmental stress, which we've covered a little bit when we're talking about trauma here. The third is social and interracial stress. And of course, the way we learn to do those kinds of patterns and any trauma patterns will affect how we do social and interrelational stress. How do we we bond? How do we connect with people? What are the patterns we engage in, in social um, situations and relationships? Because all those early years patterns come and play out in all the relationships of our lives. And again, being able to transform those and shift those into the patterns of resilience is a powerful skill set. It really is. So these skill sets are so worth cultivating. And of course, in cultivating them, it takes time. It takes time and it takes practice. It takes discipline and discipline is consistently and continuously finding awareness. And in awareness, we have the capacity to catch those perceptual shifts and change them for the good. Now, all the different four kinds of stress um, are interrelated. That's environmental stress, developmental stress, social interrelational stress and perceptual stress. And those four are all interrelated into a weave and they're all dependent on what we learned in our early years and how we respond to situations. So if we're going to really cultivate resilience, We have to go into all this stuff, unpick all those patterns and make different choices. Now resilience, like we said, is the capacity to bend like a strong tree in the wind, not a rigid tree, a strong tree. It's the ability to respond, the ability to be creative in response, the ability to find workability in everything. Resilience is where we ride stress, where we surf stress, when use the experience to become even stronger, even more committed, even more playful you know, more creative, more curious, all these qualities I'm talking about. And again, you know, this is not a cognitive pattern. You can't learn from somebody who just has a cognitive map of resilience. You have to learn from people who've done it and people who have done it will tell you how much work it takes to really build it. It does take work. It's a work, a powerful, creative, wonderful work. And we need the right tools So in the Embodied Courses, what we're doing is giving you the tools you need. You're going to have to apply them. You're going to have to do the work, and nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do the work of resilience for you. That you have to do yourself. Like Buddha said, you have to work out your own salvation with diligence. You could say you have to work out your own way into building resilience with the appropriate use of tools of discipline. That's what it takes so have fun on the journey it is amazing to be able to go into your own brain using the powers of attention to be able to transform you know the networks and the patterns in the brain that previously would have taken you into a collapsed state or a numb state or a reactive state and gradually then be able to shift those and change those into something much more creative much more responsive much more beautiful Now, resilience really is using applied knowledge for the purposes of freedom. It really is. And when we use it as a learning curve and give ourselves space to get it wrong, that's okay. Like I said, confusion is learning in process. Learning learning is getting it wrong and then slowly, slowly learning to get it right. Think about when you fell off a bicycle because you couldn't ride a bike. How long did it take you to get on that bike and ride it? That was learning. It's an embodied learning process and dealing with resilience is an embodied learning process. It takes time. So we've got to be allowed to get it wrong and mess it up. And that's okay. And human beings like you, like me, we can learn powerfully. We really can. And often we learn at school that we can't learn. You know, schools teach kids sometimes that they can't learn, that they're rubbish learners. And Of course, that's not true. They're just not maybe ready to learn chemistry at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Maybe they want to do something else. And maybe that institution isn't meeting their educational need in the way it could. So what they learn as an outcome of that is that they're rubbish learners. They're not rubbish learners. Nobody's a rubbish learner. Everybody can learn, maybe at different rates in different ways maybe through different sense fields and in different kinds of learning style. But we're all amazing learners. So we want to find ways to optimize our own learning capacity and then put that into practice in our lives so we can unpick those patterns and find this greater awareness and the shifts in perception then that enable us to really build resilience. How do you know you're not being resilient? Well, you're going to certain patterns. What is blame. You'll blame yourself or other people, and blame is not taking responsibility. Blame isn't saying, okay, what can I do about it? You know, responsibility is saying, okay, things are as they are. I messed up there, yeah, for sure. And things being as they are, what can I now do about it? So it's not taking a moment to collapse oneself down into a terrible being. No, it's using every moment of every situation as a learning curve, staying in the learning frame. And staying in the learning frame is a skill set of resilience. Another response is um, shame, if we collapse into shame. And shame is about our life. It's about feeling terrible for being alive. Uh, You know, historically, cultures have shamed their children. So children grow up feeling um, ashamed, basically, of breathing, ashamed of having energy, being alive as an energetic, enthusiastic, bright, curious little being. They've been shut down. So if you go into shame spirals, notice that is a place where you have experienced, you know, something that that pushed you into shutting down, closing down, shame, blame. Excessive guilt is another one. Guilt is really good. Guilt is a great learning curve, you know. Ah, mess it up. Quick, learn on that one. And it lasts as long as you need to learn. But when we go into toxic guilt, and again, low cultural stuff around feeling, you know, feel guilty for the rest of your life. No, don't feel guilty for the rest of your life. Don't do that. Use guilt wisely. Use it as a learning curve and then drop it, move on, take responsibility. So, you know, again, these kind of patterns, these ways we can collapse into those pre-verbal and or even verbal patterns, those embodied patterns, those are indicators to us of, of what we can do about it to find more resilience. Like I said, resilience takes time to learn, time to grow it. We're growing a whole new way of being in the world. What is a learning frame? Well, it's a mental and emotional state of observation, curiosity, and choice. i say that again, sounds good, think about it, reflect on this. A learning frame is a mental and emotional state. It's an embodied state of observation, curiosity, and choice. Observation, curiosity, and choice. That's what a learning frame is. Isn't that wonderful? You're staying in that state. It's quite childlike, really. It is rather wonderful. And what does observation mean? Let's break it down a little bit. Observation means we can clearly see the nature of phenomena thoughts, feelings, body sensations, objects, people, our environment. We've got this, you know, we can clearly see and we can see how these phenomena interact and interrelate and you know that's what we're doing and curiosity then is a playful inquiry into how do these things connect and relate observation curiosity and choice is the capacity to make an informed informed response based on all the information that we're receiving all the data we have available from our sense fields from our guts from our heart from the sense-making you know, trillion synapses of the brain, all of that, we can remain in enough choice in that complexity from our memories, from our emotions, from our thoughts, our motivations, what drives us, our beliefs, our intentions, all that becomes transparent so that we can stay in choice to all of that. We're not gonna drop into reactivity or just playing out an old pattern. So it's quite a big deal. It's a big thing. It's a good thing, but it's a big thing. Staying in a learning frame. Giving things as they are now. What can I do from here? What choices do I have? Where is the leverage? How do I apply it? Staying in a learning frame. I'll say it again, just because I like saying it. It's also, it's really good to hear it twice. Given things are as they are now. What can I do from here? What choices do I have? Where is the leverage? How can I apply for it? How can I apply that leverage? And these are kind of tools they're looking at to build a radical, radical sense of resilience, a radical experience of resilience, and an optimised lifestyle. So, if you again, you know, we've got the embody course on stress to radical resilience. All of this and much, much, much more is in there. But this is the kind of work we're looking at doing, both for individuals and teams and collectives, and ultimately humanity. We want to make the world a better place, breath by breath, yeah, you know, perception by perception, shift and change things. And this very much is the work of embody. I'll stop there for today. I am going to uh, do another podcast. Again, I'm going to stay on the stress topic for a while because actually, it's a huge and beautiful topic when we start really looking into the relationship between stress and resilience. And that's what we're looking at is building a resilient, beautiful life.